You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Amen. So great to have Dwayne in our home group. So some of us have gotten to know him better than others, and we would uh, love for you to be able to meet Dwayne and then get to know him better as well. And in fact, if you are relatively new to Grace, this coming Saturday morning, we're having a Grace Connection class. That's part of the prerequisites of joining here. You have to go through the class. And if you have not signed up for that, go online. You can sign up for that uh, class this, this week. We have it three hours Saturday morning. Usually we stretch it out over four weeks. But during these times, of course, uh, a lot of things are different. Well, thank you for being here this morning. First thing I'm going to do is brag about my grandchildren. That's what people my age do, right? I have 11 grandchildren. Alice and I have 11 grandchildren. Can you believe it? I mean, two of them are fosters. We count them as part of the the 11. And this month, from January 10 through 31, we're going through one chapter of Proverbs each day, and we all share our insights on this email thread. Someone will say, well, this is my favorite verse, and here's why I like it. Um, Or this is a difficult verse for me. Uh, Last week, a big sister told us about her younger siblings. The entire family has learned uh, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer uh, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And whenever, she said, whenever my four-year-old sister is having an argument with her six-year-old brother, she'll say, brother, a soft answer turns away wrath. So I think she's got it, don't you? I mean, mature already at four years old. She knows how to use scripture. Well, now look, we, we smile at that story because we recognize the nuance required, and it really doesn't require that much nuance. You understand that the writer is saying that you, when someone is angry with you, a soft answer turns away wrath. It's not meant to be weaponized for a verbal assault. But but she's going to come to this as she grows and matures. And her parents will help her find her role in the soft answer department. And when this understanding occurs, it will be according to, to God's design. The theme of today's message is maturity by design. And it comes in week four of a five-week series titled, Time to Decide, Jesus or Self. I think it may seem a little strange that we're talking about counting the cost and next week we're going to look at a text where Paul is in prison and how we're to respond when we who were called to suffer for Christ, indeed have to do so at a different level than we have been so far, if indeed that day occurs. You'd you'd think, well, wait a minute, two messages right in the middle on family, but this is the point of attack. Satan's attack, the culture's attack. A lot of people are trying to get at God through family. And I just want to say this. There's a lot, there, there will be a lot in the message today that parents will say, oh my And you'll look back at your own childhood and you'll say, oh, on two occasions. One, I could have done better as a child and I surely could have done better 
as an adult. And what happened? Did all of these promises uh, that I, I relied on so heavily not work? That's not the case at all. Look, it's a broken world. We all have to give an account for ourselves. It's not just uh, the person who is responsible for the teaching and the training that is responsible. We all are responsible for our own decisions and our own actions. But God's design for bringing children from matu to maturity is for parents to teach them to love God and to serve others. Just as Jesus humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples. It's up to the parents to train their children. And it's up to the children to receive their parents' biblical instruction. Rather than listen to the world that wants to tell them day in and day out. That they are the most important people on the planet. And that they should reject their parents' teaching. Because they are, after all, from a different century. Our text today is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And like all the text in this series, its truth is in direct contradiction to the world's ways, forcing us to choose Jesus or self. Would you please stand as the word is being read? Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. <clears throat> I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. I don't know about the rest of you parents, but Ephesians 6.1 is one of the absolute first verses that we taught our children when they were young. I can still hear my little one saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1. I love the cadence. I love little children's voices quoting scripture. I'm sure I told you about the little child who was quoting scripture in church one day, and, and, and he or she combined two verses and said, A lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in a time of trouble. <laughs> so there you go. It's kind of like my granddaughter using uh, the soft answer against her brother. <clears throat> so you may think, oh, that's a terrible thing that you're telling your child uh, that they should obey their parents. Look, a lot of people say today children should be allowed to make their own choices about religion, about behavior, about all kinds of things in life. Muslims aren't living that way. Hindus aren't living that way. But somehow Christians in the West anyway are supposed to not tell their children, just let their children make up their minds for themselves. That is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us to train our children in the Lord. Um, in fact, it's not an awful thing to teach Ephesians 6.1. It's a beautiful thing. Just how beautiful? Try gospel beautiful. In the Lord is not just a little phrase that's tacked on to make it Christian. You know, kind of like we, we do with put a Bible verse under a piece of art and that way it'll sell 
That kind of, it's not, that's not what's going on here. In the, in the Lord is the very heart of this message. Paul is given over almost two chapters the way that a Christian household should function. He's already told us that marriage is a picture of the gospel, and so it is with children's obedience to their parents, just as Jesus the Son obeyed his Father in all things. And Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to connect his, his instructions to the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, the New Testament just doesn't give as much instruction about parents raising their children in Christ as you would think it, it would. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so little is said in the New Testament about raising children? Well, because it's already been said in the Old Testament. And that it's not that the New Testament has replaced the Old Testament and that we no longer need the Old Testament. The New Testament is a completion of what was begun in the very beginning. The Bible is not two stories. It's one story with two parts. And it tells the story of God's relationship with his covenant children. And when Paul states that it will go well for those who obey their father and mother and that they will live long in the land, is he making an absolute promise? No, I would contend it's a principle, just like you see so many principles in, in Proverbs. Many of you have felt great guilt because of Proverbs 22 to 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what happens with some of the kids that walk away at least for a while? It's not, that is not an absolute promise. It's a principle that this is generally the way that it goes. But it doesn't always go that way. Um, those who live, Paul is saying, according to the instruction of God's word as taught by their parents, will, generally speaking, have a better life than those who don't follow the Lord. Proverbs states that a wise person enjoys a better life than a fool. A fool is not only someone who denies God's existence or denies God's authority in his life. He's also one who denies his parents' authority in, in, in his life. And he um, will go his own way rather than the Lord's way that's laid out for him, that is taught to him by his parents. That's one of the reasons that Allison and I are going through Proverbs with our grandchildren this month. Now, we're making it very clear. We, what we, what, I start a thread every day, and then people will say, one, one of the grandchildren will say, well, I like this verse. I like that verse. One of the children is making, she's homeschooling her kids, and she has her kids do that as part of devotion. So there's a lot of interaction, but not just from those four, from the other uh, seven as well. So back and forth, I like this one, or oh boy, I, I need to work on this one a little bit. And what a beautiful opportunity to help our children, who are their parents, in the, the, the job of raising their own kids. So we're careful, though, not to let the kids think that if you're just good enough, then you'll be good enough to get into heaven. No, you can never be that obedient. One disobedience has messed the whole thing up. This is a life. Proverbs is describing a blessed life for those who have repented of their sins 
and have trusted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as payment for their sins. That's our only hope of relationship with God. But once we belong to God, here's how we live. And it's not just like from this part on. It's all of it. There's instruction for us all the way through Scripture. I want to speak for a few moments uh, to children, to students, and to young adults. Before I, but before I do, I, I I want to say that this is in the same vein as we talked about last week. There is no refuge or shelter for an abuser in any of these instructions. When parents are told to discipline their children, again, there's no haven for abusive fathers or mothers. Discipline? Absolutely. Proverbs 13, 24 indicates that discipline is a sign of love, and a lack of discipline is an indication that you hate your children. Now, that's sort of the Semitic, Semitic hyperbole that we heard from Jesus a few weeks ago. It's exaggerating to make a point, but it's a serious point that if you don't discipline your children, then you don't love them. Either way, parents are commanded to discipline their children, but abuse is not okay and needs to be addressed where it is found. And by the way, nobody's looking. You, we know abuse when we see it. It's not a matter of, oh, did you spank your child? Scripture talks about that. That's not abuse, but abuse is pretty evident when it, when it comes up. The reason I want to speak to children first is not only because the Bible addresses children first, but because in today's world, you're taught to think and behave as though you were the one with the ultimate power. And indeed, parents who are insecure and desperately want their children's approval. And because you've spent far more time being raised by your peers. right? This is how you're raised today for the most part, right? On, online, by people who want your money, and really who ultimately want your soul. But you'd rather listen to them than your parents, because if you don't, this is going to be so hard at school. It's going to be so hard when you talk to your friends, and you say, well, we just don't, we don't do that that way. Because you've been raised more by them than by your parents, you do command a measure of control over mom and dad. And so, you would think if I'm talking about children, that I would be talking about how parents have the big responsibility. Really, it's as much on you as it is your parents. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's almost all on you. There's very little said to parents. There's a whole lot said to children. Children are to obey, and that means not only to do what they're told, but to listen, respect, honor, believe, trust. All of that is wrapped up. Trust your parents. that They're not just trying to make your life miserable, but they love you and want the best for you. So if you don't get started right, let me ask this. Do people change? 
Yes, this is the great hope of the gospel for the here and now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Even so, it struck me many years ago that most of us, for most of us, who we are, what we are, by the time we become an adult, is pretty much who we're going to be when we draw our last breath. Now, that, again... Don't think that I'm saying people don't change. They do change. They absolutely change. But the struggles that we have, the habits that we have, um, those temptations will stay with us all of our years. Look, if you were saved at 30, 50, or 70, chances are you're much different than you were before you were saved. But you still remember those things that used to have such a sway over you. When I was a child, apparently, I was legendary for avoiding discipline. My parents believed in spanking. Most parents believed in spanking that day, as many of you do today, and Scripture would affirm that. Although I don't remember this, and I strongly question it, even though 20 people have said this is true. Apparently, when my parents would say, okay, You've done it. My dad's favorite line was, you've ripped it now, boy. You've ripped it now. So when he said that, I knew I was about to get ripped, you know. And when they would say, all right, you're getting a spanking, and they'd pick up their instrument of choice, a fly swatter or a belt or a broom. No, they didn't use brooms. It wasn't quite that bad. But they would pick up switch, whatever, you know. If it was time to get a spanking, they'd say, come here, boy. And instead of coming here, I would start running in the yard, and I mean, I would go in circles, and they would be, one or the other would be following after me and never be able to catch me, and they just dissolve into laughter, and then I would avoid the punishment. Now, lest you young ones get any ideas, or maybe some of you are already in that category, uh, my antics followed me into my teenage years, and they haunt me to this day. I don't like to be corrected. Most of you don't know that. Staff knows it. Elders know it. I have to struggle with that. I usually come around pretty quickly, in fact. But my initial response is, I don't like it. Where does it stem from? Because I rejected discipline when I was a child. Most likely, look, the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful. We know all of that. My parents didn't follow the Lord closely until I was a teenager. And by then, my rebellious patterns were established. And it's only the mercy of the Lord that has kept me from disaster all these years. So what's the point? Seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 21-year-old, you will never get these years back. I think your parents talk about, where did the years go? Your time is slipping away. And if you refuse to receive discipline now, it will haunt you for the rest of your life. Some of you think you're going to get serious about life when you graduate from high school or from college. But how you respond to discipline in your heart over these next few years will make a huge difference when you are 79 years old. If you struggle with honesty with lust, with anger, with disregarding instruction, with disobedience now. 
not going to be a magic moment where it just all turns around for you. Again, don't think I'm denying the power of the Holy Spirit to change your behavior, but it's going to be far more uphill than the smooth and straight path that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 promises for those who trust the Lord with all their heart. And, and trust is implied in a child's obedience to his parent. I know for those of you who have not yet graduated from high school, but you're getting close. The pressure for you to follow the ways of the world is intense. And if you're out of high school and you still live at home, it's even greater for you. It's extremely difficult. I, I get that. I understand that. I, I want to spend a few minutes with a couple of concepts from Alan Jacobs' excellent book, How to Think. Someone told uh, Alan Jacobs, man, I, I, I love this book. I just wish you had a different title. It's kind of a hard thing. You know, for me to say, hey, Ralph, here's a book. I think you, this, you would really profit from this book. Get it? <laughs> oh, Ralph needs... No, it, but it's a great book. I was thrilled to see Gio reading the book when I ran into Gio and, and Alea Cultivate on Thursday. And then I learned that the CO leadership team is reading it. That's, that's awesome. So early in this book, How to Think... Jacobs introduces us to a young woman named, named Leah Labresco. Now, Leah grew up in an atheist home. She was an atheist because her, that's the way her parents had trained her. And then she went to Yale University. She trusted Christ while she was at Yale. And a big part of the reason, of all places, right, was because she joined a debate club called the Yale Political Union. And the goal of, the, of this debate club was not to win debate points, but to get people to come around to your way of thinking. So in a regular debate club, this today you may be for this issue, and next time you're against it, and you're trying to just win the point. You're just trying to make people think, ah, okay, that was a good point, so I'm going to give him uh, points there. But there were times in the Yale political union where someone would just stop in the middle of debate, the debate and say, you know what, I think you're right. See, you didn't take a side that you didn't agree with in this group. You're trying to get to the truth. And so they would say, I think you're right. And if you were able to get someone to change his or her position during a debate, you had broken them down on the floor. That's what it was called. I broke you down on the floor. When students were being chosen for leadership positions in the club, their ability to break others down on the floor was important. But it was equally important that you had been broken down on the floor. Why do you think that is? Because if you're always right, you never think somebody else has something to say to you, that you should change your position Every now and then, it's, it's very unlikely that you are able to think critically. And more than likely, you're just going to go with the conventional wisdom on, on issues rather than thinking it all the way through. And it's like, you know what? There are so many people. There are so many likes to this. I think I just got to go with it. If, on the other hand, your parents have raised you imperfectly. All parents are imperfect. If they have raised you 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you have received correction with a soft heart. You're going to be okay. Jacobs also points to C.S. Lewis' thoughts about the inner ring that exists in organizations such as schools, businesses, entertainment, etc. While the inner ring is a clique, it exists among adults just as much as it does in middle school. In every group, there's an imaginary table reserved for the most influential people of the group. Uh, now, if you're not a part of that group, if you don't have a seat at the table, you may feel like a second-class citizen. And probably you and your friends are always taking shots at those at the table in the inner ring. And you're saying, well, I would never be a part of that. But then one day, you're just talking. Someone from the group, away from the table, has lowered himself or herself to speak with you. And you say something, and she says, wow, that's really good. Let me introduce you. To the people at the table, hey guys, make room for Sarah. She needs to be, she's got something to say and you need to hear her. And here's the thing. Last week, you wouldn't have had anything to do with this group. But all of a sudden, you're part of the inner ring and you will do anything to stay there once you get a seat at the table. Not only will you change your views and positions, you may be willing to change core beliefs. If it's necessary to stay in that ring, in a ring. And you probably are thinking, I would never. But you might. Unless you listen to your parents. And not just listen, but you honor them, you trust them. Well, you don't know my parents. That's true. I don't know your parents like you do. But my guess is that you just have a serious case of teenage-itis. In the few minutes that I have left, I want to address the parents. And I'll begin by reading Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I've just been, just the last two days, God has reminded me of his mercy toward me. The, the, the mistakes that I've made, the sins that I've committed, not before, but as a believer, and how important it is that we always minister to other people with grace. Fathers, do this. Give grace to your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, you need to remember that in your family, you are the adults, your children are not. Children, adolescents, you need to be okay with this. Parents, you got a tough job, but you don't get a pass just because there's this little thing called the internet. Your children are ultimately responsible for themselves, but you are called to do everything that you can do to help them follow the Lord. There are 10 million things I would like to say about parenting at this point. There's so many things I, I would like to say, but I'm just going to say this one thing, just one thing. Dads, when you are around, you're up. Don't be waiting for your wife to say, kids, settle down. Do not, however, raise your children with a harshness that would make Napoleon Bonaparte blush. Do not provoke them to anger. That's Napoleon Bonaparte, not dynamite. Got it? Napoleon. 
don't raise them that way either. How can you lead your children in a day that is more difficult, difficult than any that parents have faced in history, at least in the free world? Read the book this week, The TechWise Family. I read it in about two or three days. Ricky was talking about how he had read this book, and it was so good he just couldn't quit reading it. I Maybe one sitting. I don't know. Was it one sitting, Ricky? One sitting in a day. You can do it like that. It was, it, it, it's short. It's about 200 pages, but they're small pages, a lot of charts on there. And I only have one thing to say. I read it so that I could say this one thing after hearing Ricky's recommendation. Parents, you must read this book. It is not an option. I mean, parenting is more difficult than ever because of technology, but it's not automatic. It's not necessary that your children lose the sense of wonder in this beautiful world that God has given us and and the wonder of a world that you've enjoyed so much as a child. So the success of your family may be determined in your willingness to use four words. Our family is different. Do you have the courage to say that, parents? Children, give your parents the space to say these words and make it easy for them to lead your family in a gospel-saturated way. We're going to close our time with instruction instruction from the Shema, just the same way we began it with Jeff. Shared some of these verses from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, hear. The first word in the Hebrew is Shema. That's why it's called a Shema. And it implies not only hear, but Hear with an intent to obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in the house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. This is what it means to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is maturity. By design. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, always, always, always in Scripture, we can read, we can, we can hear, we can process things, and we can feel so guilty. But, Lord, that is not the point. <laughs> not the point of, of your word, not the point of this message. Yes. It's, it's, it's wonderful when we acknowledge that we have failed and we have no hope apart from Jesus. Because when we are relatively successful and we're doing it our way, some serious damage could be done. 
So, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. And that the relationship that we have with you, while more caught than taught, surely we understand that. It must be taught. So give us the courage, give us the grace, give us the power, the strength, the love to do this according to design. We thank you for the life that we have because Jesus died for us. We thank you for the privilege of passing on the grace that you have given to us, to our children, our grandchildren. We ask that we would be more like Jesus every day, even as we take up our cross daily and follow him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.